Hey, brother, there's an endless road to rediscover. Hey, sister, know the water's sweet, but blood is thicker. Oh, the sky. Welcome to the Reformed Brotherhood. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta hug. I'm Tony. And I'm Jesse. Brother? I'm going to have a brother? I've always dreamed about having a brother. If you'd like to join our brotherhood, you can join our Facebook group. You can email us at reformbrotherhood at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at reformbrohood. You can also subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, brother-in-law. Hey, mother. Hey, son. Mom. Welcome back to the Reformed Brotherhood podcast. This is your sophomore episode. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And so Tony is out and about today. He can't join us. So it's just you and me. Yeah, and we're going to do it. And we're definitely going to do it. You got that. Bring it on. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at reformbrotherhood at gmail.com. You can tweet us at reformedbrohood. Or better yet, you can leave me and my mother a voicemail at 607 444-2767. Bros. <laughs> we, we did not even plan that. This is great. I've heard you say that. Podcasting without a net. <laughs> so I'm really excited to have my mom back on the Reformed Brotherhood. Again, back by popular demand. Might I add, people all over the world love you. And, and I do too. And one of the things that we want to talk about today is this idea of what it means to be a pastor's wife, because a pastor's wife is no less a public office than the pastor. But in my experience, it's been one of those things that's either really misunderstood or just not known at all. So this is going to be the definitive conversation, pulling back the curtain on everything that it means to be a pastor's wife. Are you okay with that? I'm, I'm good with that. All right. Yeah, I'm excited. So let's get after it. So one of the things I wanted to ask to kind of open it up is... What is, I mean, what's kind of been your history with being a pastor's wife in terms of, well, I guess, why are we talking about this today? What's what's the purpose of the conversation? Well, first of all, you asked me to talk about it, <laughs> so that would be the first thing. That is true. Uh, the second thing I think is what you're looking for is what qualifies me to speak on behalf of other pastor's wives is that um, my husband is a pastor, your dad is a pastor, I've been married for thir- almost 39 years, Yeah, and 34 of those years have been spent in church ministry. And during that time, we've served in three churches in three different states, and those states would be New York, Connecticut, and currently in New Hampshire. And during that time, we've raised four children, all of whom were born in different places, Uh, All of our children are now married, and we have a five-month-old grandson by the name of Felix, who's the delight of all of our hearts. So I have a little bit of experience as a pastor's wife. That was a really thorough (laughs) biography. Yeah, this is why I think that you're really uniquely qualified to talk about this. And again, I think it's something that I haven't heard a really good conversation, just an honest, candid conversation about some of the challenges, what it's like to be a pastor's wife. But I was wondering if you'd be willing to share just kind of some, I guess, facts about, I know you have a good perspective on the unique kind of idiosyncrasies of being a pastor's wife. So is there stuff you want to share about that? 
Yeah, so first of all, I can, I can give you a few interesting facts in general about pastor's wives. <clears throat> Excuse me. So according to surveys by the Global Pastor's Wives Network, here are some statistics, and I, I think they're rather sad statistics, but they're, they're legitimate nonetheless. Eight to ten pastor's wives say that they feel unappreciated or unaccepted by their husband's congregations. Eight in ten pastor's wives wish their husbands would choose another profession. Wow. The number one reason why pastors leave their ministries is due to the impact it has on their wives. And the divorce rate among ministers and their wives is 50%, which is no better than that of the general public. Another interesting fact is that the average pastor stays in a church for three and a half years before leaving and moving on to another church. Yet studies show that it takes seven years for a pastor to really know his congregation and for them to attach to him. So there's something wrong there if a pastor is leaving in half the amount of time it takes for the congregation and him to connect. Right. Another thing that makes ministry unique is that the same people that you work for are also the same people you socialize with. So there are no lines or boundaries in ministry. They all run together and become one. But most people in the secular workplace don't voluntarily socialize with their boss or their coworkers on a daily or a weekly basis. So that's some of the things that makes ministry uniquely different. I didn't know about that 80% feel, that pastor wives, 80% feel unappreciated or would even prefer for their husbands to take a different profession. So a lot of that is sad. And that's kind of what I was driving at that I think makes this conversation so interesting is the understanding that there's a lot below the surface. You know, people are quick to pray for their pastors to think of their pastors, but the toll it takes on their family or especially their wives, because that's a partner in ministry. I mean, so have you felt called to ministry in kind of a way in the same way that your husband has? Well, that's an interesting question, because if you asked um, three different pastors' wives, you'd probably get three different answers on that. Um, some, some women feel it's a particular calling, and some women feel it's not a calling. It's no different than any other woman and their husband. The, the thing that makes being a pastor's wife unique is where my husband's career has a huge impact on where I fellowship in a church. So in one regard, that's that decision, that choice of where I'm going to fellowship is removed from me. So there's something there that you have at some point you have to say, it's not just my husband's ministry, but I co-minister with him. Mm -hmm. So whether it's an official calling or it's something that that you just sort of slip into, I would define it better that way. It's something that you sort of slip into because God called your husband. So by default, you're part of the process. Yeah, by default, I would say that is the case. I I personally have never run into a pastor's wife who feels that her her um, position as as wife to her husband is a calling. But they would probably agree with me that that there is a ministry aspect to it that they recognize and acknowledge. Right, because you're like you said, you're giving up some things. You are making a choice to participate in the sacrifice, even if it's small things. Like I don't think people often realize what you just said 
about the taking away of the socialization aspect because most of us create these little compartmentalized groups mm -hmm. and we recognize that some boundaries are healthy. It's not to say that those boundaries that don't exist in the church are unhealthy. It just means they're more challenging, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, when when you socialize with the same people that, that in, a, in a sense, your husband works for, it it changes, it tweaks the perimeters of socializing. There's there's always an element where you feel like you're not necessarily socializing, you're still working, even when it's a social element. Right. Yeah. Right. In a way, you have to be, this is the only way I can think of it, on. like on. Yeah, yeah exactly. On. And there's, yeah. there's nothing there's, wrong there's with that. No there's no downtime. Right. Yeah. There's a healthiness in serving the Lord by being on, but that also means it comes at the expense of energy and focus, and it's a different type of relationship. Is that fair? Yes. I would say it's a double-edged sword. So there's there's certainly blessing, elements of blessing to it, but there is certainly um, an element that um, makes you feel that you can't always be just down in who you are at that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's not to say nobody's hiding anything. It's no. just that you're you're having to serve and represent God in a very public light, even in casual interactions. In casual interactions, correct. Yeah. So, man, I'm so good at this interview. Yeah. All right. You, you would think that you were a pastor's <laughs> kid or something. <laughs> yeah, but this is why it's a unique perspective. So what I wanted to get after is more of what are what do you see, especially after having just shared those facts? And that's really, like you said, that's kind of sad. That That is a na national survey. Of yes, sorts. of pastor's wives. Yeah. So we're talking about common experience. We're talking about yes. a sample size of people across probably different denominations and church sizes. This is why you got to love on your pastor's wives. Um, but beyond that, what do you see as challenges that pastors' wives face? Well, I can give you a list of what uh, other pastors' wives have said, generally speaking, are challenges that okay. they face. So I would say most pastors' wives will face most of these. Maybe all of them won't face all of them. Um, but right across the board, repeatedly, the number one challenge that pastors' wives express is loneliness. It's difficult to find a genuine confidant within the church who wants to be your friend and is able to maintain that separation of this is my church, but this is my friend. There, there's such a crossover that even women who have found friends never lose sight of the fact that their friends are still, in a sense, their husband's employer. So there's a... A great gap there for women in ministry. Um, some of them have scars from bad relationship, relationships that they tried to establish with people within the church. And um, many pastor's wives report that they struggle with depression. And that depression is often um, a, a fallout of, of a lack of friendship and feeling lonely. Uh, another thing is pastor's wives do not want church members telling them what their job should be at the church. Each pastor's wife wants to serve the church the same as any other believer in the church according to what her spiritual gifts and calling are, not according to someone else's false sense of expectations for them. Another thing is pastor's wives want church members to understand that neither they nor their families are perfect. Every pastor's wife should be allowed the grace to make mistakes just like any other parishioner. 
Likewise, her children should have the opportunity to be normal children. And those two are really big ones because it strikes me that, just like you said, if you asked any person in a congregation what the pastor's wife should do, you probably have as many answers as the people you ask. So it's a really hard thing for somebody to live up to those expectations, especially because they're often not voiced. You, you sometimes, or at least my experience, you just hear them when you, you go beyond them. Um, not in a good way when you fall short of them, I guess I should yeah. say it that way. So in, in the same way, you're really opening yourself up. I mean, the job of being a pastor and uh, coming alongside his pastor's wife is one that's really vulnerable. And so that that strikes me as like a really challenging, those two in particular, really challenging. Yeah, you, you're, you're incredibly vulnerable. And very often, it's not because you choose to be vulnerable. It's because you're you're thrust into that position and you don't have any say about it. That's what makes it doubly difficult because for the most part, when we're vulnerable with people, it's because we've put ourselves out there right. to those people. And in, in being a pastor's wife, you don't get a, a choice about that. You're thrust into that position and you're vulnerable and you oftentimes have to make the best of that. Um, your example in particular is I've had people tell me that I should teach a Bible study and then I've had people tell me I shouldn't teach a Bible study, <laughs> not because I'm bad at it, but just because they don't think the pastor's wife should be teaching a Bible study. Um, it, you, For every parishioner, they all come to the table with their own individual expectations of what they think a pastor's wife should be like and what they think she shouldn't be like. I've had people tell me that I shouldn't wear nail polish because I'm a pastor's wife. Right. Yet the person telling me that happens to be wearing nail polish. It doesn't make any sense. There, There's lots of critiquing. Um, a lot of times their expectations are based upon previous pastor's wives or um, some regard that they hold. Uh, some Maybe the standard is too high. Maybe the standard is too low. I, I mean, it swings both ways. I For everything that I have done, there's been someone who said I shouldn't. And for everything I haven't done, there's been someone who said I should. It, it really runs the gamut. So that's a fun place to be. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. It's definitely a fun place to be. <laughs> Um, another another thing that pastors' wives wish that others knew and understood is that pastors' wives do not want to field complaints about their husbands from church folks. Each pastor's wife loves her husband, and it hurts her to hear negative things said about him. Another thing is while most pastors' wives affirm their identity as a wife in ministry, they do not want that to only be their identity. They would like to feel free to express their own identities. So, for example, when new folks come into the church, I never introduce myself as the pastor's wife. I never say that. Hmm, I always introduce myself simply as Heather. And very often, if I haven't had a chance to introduce myself to them first, people will come to me and say, oh, you're the pastor's wife. And I, I try to find some fun way to bounce that back by saying something like, well, that's one of my many tasks or just a part of who I am, or it's, it's a small part of my identity. I'm also, and then I try to give them other things, um, just to make people aware that, that that's I don't think they do that intentionally to be um, hurtful or, or anything like that. But I think that um, it's it's helpful 
to make people aware that that's not necessarily a good way to approach your pastor's wife. She has an identity of her own. Right. Yeah. So you create a secret identity for yourself. Yeah, I'm like Superman. Yeah, that's Superwoman. (laughs) Clark Kent. But you're a woman. All right. So, so, but do do you do that because you want to avoid like a preconception right away and that's helpful to do even in initial interaction? Uh, It's not necessarily that I'm trying to avoid a preconception. I'm trying to give a little bit of education just at that moment. Just a moment of, yep, I am the pastor's wife. I don't deny that. But that isn't how I want you to first perceive me. Right. Yeah. This is so interesting to me because I think even people who are well-intentioned, do you think that most people have a preconceived notion of what a pastor's life should be like or oh, should, should look like? Even, oh, yeah, absolutely. Even if they're not, let's say, we might talk to people and they would say, no, I'm pretty flexible and I, I don't have any preconceived notions. Do you still think that's Oh, I true? think they do. I think yeah. everyone comes to the table with a preconceived notion. Even I find this to be true even of my unsafe friends. The minute they find out that my husband's um, a minister – you can see the look on their face sort of changes. Change. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're taking that in for a moment, like, oh, that that's interesting. Right. But the only time that I do actually find that helpful and productive is in the secular world. When I want to start witnessing to someone, I let them know that my husband is a pastor because I find that people are open to conversations about God if they know that I come from a religious, that's how they see it, a religious environment, it's almost as if they expect me to share or talk to them about God. So for me, that actually opens a door with unsaved people. Interesting. But it's not necessarily a door I want to open with church folks or saved people. Right. So in that case, it's almost like a license oh, yeah. to jump into the conversation. Oh, yeah. I definitely use that to my advantage. So it's interesting. In one place, it pulls down a hurdle. In the other place, it can put one up. Absolutely. That's a good way of saying that. And that's, thank you. And that's that's why I think is fascinating. It's kind of this weird double-edged sword, which you've already said, but yes. I don't think people often think about that. Yeah. And we all do come with, I think, preconceptions. I agree with you. And where I see them come out is not necessarily before something has happened, but usually after, after. something has happened. Yeah. And then somebody says, oh, the pastor's wife shouldn't do that. Or I mean, I think people have a minimal expectation that a pastor's wife should be like super friendly yep. and really outgoing yes. and extroverted. And that doesn't have to be the case for her to be, I think, effective no, and, and, and that's a good example that you give because um, that is one of the, the misunderstandings that often tumbles into my lap is I, I once people know me, I'm very outgoing, I'm very opinionated, my friends tell me that I'm a lot of fun, I tell a lot of good stories, <laughs> but uh, when people first meet me, I tend to be very withdrawn and introverted. I get very quiet. It is extremely difficult for me to approach someone I don't know and introduce myself and say hello. I have to really, if I see someone walk into church and they're new, people have no idea what goes through my mind. I am literally trying to psych myself up through the entire church service just to turn around and introduce myself and say hello because I nat- that's not a natural part of who I am, but people expect that it is. Right. Another example is I very often, if, you know, on Sunday, there's always several people to chat with. And 
I, I've, I often see certain people get very upset if I don't say hello to them. They think that because I'm, pa- I'm the pastor's wife, I owe them a hello in the morning. And I can't always get to them because someone else is taking up my time. So people will actually get very upset with me if I don't say hello. Yet they don't do that with other people. If, you know, Sally Sue didn't get to say hello to Marjorie Ann, then Marjorie Ann's not particularly upset with Sally Sue, but people will actually get upset with me if I don't go out of my way to say hello to them. And that goes back to those expectations again. There's yeah. no expectations yeah. on her. Yeah, and that's strictly because I'm the pastor's wife. Right. Yeah. It's a unique place to it, be. It is, but that doesn't necessarily fit my personality and who I am. Right. Yeah. It's it's probably hard for people to d- disassociate the fact that in, in our own personalities, we would say, well, I don't expect this person to behave that way, one of my friends, because I know they're introverted or they're not like that. They take time to warm up to people. But again, you put that on the pastor's wife and just say, well, none of the expectation is to be on and to be there and to be present. Yeah. And that makes, and and when that happens, it can make my worship experience or my time of worship um, a, a little bit off kilter and difficult for me because I'm coming to worship God the same as everybody else's. I want my focus to be on God and what he, you know i need to hear in the word that day and how i need to express worship and thankfulness to him and if i'm having to think to myself oh my goodness i need to make sure that i talk to marjorie ann this morning that is is so distracting for me from my worship it, it's um that's where the double-edged sword comes in yeah. and we've tony and i have spoken a lot before about the regular principle of worship and especially how that applies to gathered worship on the lord's day so it's Interesting to hear you say to me that sometimes those expectations can get in the way of making sure that you are having a dedicated gathered time of worship on the Lord's Day. And that I think we need to, that's something important to remember, that we need to extend grace to our ministers and to their wives because they also are looking to honor the Sabbath, to be present before the Lord, and to worship Him with passion and enthusiasm in an undistracted way. Right. And, and those elements of feeling that I have certain expectations that I have to live up to, and they vary from person to person, that definitely uh, distracts me from worship. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to juggle sometimes. Yeah, because that's your Sabbath, too. I mean, if you have a job outside of just being a wife and a mother and a pastor's wife. And I do. Th- then that means that Sunday is also your day to rest and be before the Lord and not feel like, I mean, hopefully pastors are getting another day to Sabbath uh, beside because Sunday is a work day, of course, uh, for them. But you don't have that luxury often, or maybe the average pastor's wife doesn't have that luxury. Say, I'm just going to take Monday off because I'm I'm so exhausted after trying to fulfill everything and meet all obligations on Sunday. Yes. I I wouldn't say like it's, it's, uh, it's not an overwhelming distraction. It, it, it's not um, something that I'm consciously troubled about every Sunday, but there are times that it interjects into my worship for sure. So those, some of what you just shared, those are general challenges. Mm-hmm. And it struck me, what was interesting is all those challenges are really what I would consider like externally available. In other words, they're influenced because they're interactions with people outside the home. And that's not even to talk about challenges just behind the scenes, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But what are some of the challenges that you specifically feel like you have to encounter as being a pastor's wife? Okay, so yeah, I, I obviously um, each pastor's wife has their own particular issues that they deal with, and 
Um, I'm sure some of mine fall into a general category that they all experience, but my, some of mine might also be unique just to me. Um, one of the things that is a challenge for me as a pastor's wife is uh, the time element. So as I'm sure a lot of people are aware, but I don't think it's very prominent on people's thoughts, is that ministry is not a nine-to-five job, nor, it is a, nor is it a five-day week job. It is 24-7, and that's no exaggeration. So um, there are needs within the church body that have literally interrupted our vacation. They've canceled my date night with my husband on numerous times. Um, they, it, those needs have changed our family plans at times. And they've even woken us up in the middle of the night because they were necessary. Uh, another time element for me in particular is the church that, I, that my husband is currently at is a very small rural church. Our, our first church was a church of approximately 200, 225, 250 people. Um, our second church was a church of over 500 people. But this church is a very small rural church. So my husband has to be a bivocational pastor, which is the first time he's ever had to do that. And what that means is he works two jobs to make ends meet. So literally, he works seven days a week. He does not even have one single day off a week. He works seven days. He's always studying. He's always reading. He's always working on something or preparing something. Um, so it's difficult for me as married to a bivocational pastor who doesn't have even one day off a week. It's difficult for me to hear people complain when they have a weekend and they feel that the weekend wasn't enough. Very often I just have to smile and say nothing. Um, but he works very hard. So time, time is, a, is a challenge for me as a pastor's wife. Um, unrealistic expectations is something that I think all pastor's wives deal with. That's definitely an issue for me. And as we've already said, every church is different. The, the, the culture of every church is different. And every person within the church has diverse expectations of the pastor, his wife, and even his family. Um, and... Interestingly enough, I, I would challenge people to think about that for a moment. I don't know of any other job where expectations or demands are placed on the wife because of the husband's of the husband. job, other than politics. Right. Like the first lady of the White House or maybe a governor's wife. There's There are some expectations placed on them um, other than politics and ministry, I don't know any other place where that happens. If your husband works in the hospital, you the, the hospital doesn't call you up and say, "So your we're doctor's hoping, wife." Yeah, we're hoping you're going to do yada yada because you're married to the doctor. Um, that just doesn't happen. So wait, why do you think there's such a parallel between that's a good comparison politicians' wives and pastors' wives? Because they're public. Public so you think it's just being in the jobs. public eye? Yeah, I think it, it all has to do with meeting the needs of people. And, and somehow there is this like bleed over between the husband being the pastor, representing God, representing 
people and holiness and that, of course, translating to you as well. Yeah, there's definitely a, a splash over to me. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny is I was having this conversation with uh, a friend recently and I found this response to go both ways. I've heard people say to me uh, sometimes, oh, like I've, you know, all the pastor's wife, I, wives I've known have been like so friendly, so nice. And then I've heard people say, oh, all the pastor's wives I've known have been like so mean and so like, you know, yeah. incorrigible. It's just so interesting how <laughs> well, it I think depends. I think when it, things like that, it when you, first of all, people have different expectations, as we've said. But people bring their own personalities to that table in view in how they view their pastor's wives, because that is interesting. I recently uh, attended a meeting where it was being led by another pastor's wife, and I had never met her before. And I sat, she, she had several meetings that I sat in on, <clears throat> and I observed her personality, and I thought she seemed like a really nice person to me. She was very gregarious and um, outgoing, very seemed like a really happy person. And um, she actually came up to me after one of the meetings and said to me, and I could tell this really troubled her. She said to me, I'm wondering if you could do me a favor. And the thing is, my husband's secondary job is he is the spiritual formation leader and the Bible teacher at a Christian high school. And obviously, many students from many churches attend that Christian school. And she said that one of the um, young people in her church was a student of my husband's. And she said, he talks about your husband all the time and how much he really likes him. And it, it's true. Everybody loves my husband. He's just, he's a great That's guy. True. Um, and she said to me, I'm wondering if you could tell your husband that I'm really not a bad person. I don't know why, but this, this young man just doesn't like me. He's never told me that directly, but I've gotten that message from other people that he just doesn't like me for some reason. And I can't figure out why. And I, I thought that that's so sad that this bothers her so much that she's telling someone that she essentially doesn't even know to pass this message on to someone that she obviously thinks other people think highly of, could he persuade or influence this young man? And I looked at her and I said, surely you realize that you can't please everyone and that there is always going to be someone who has some sort of misconstrued perception of you. And you just need to let that go and not let that bother you. Um, And she kind of looked at me as though for a moment that stunned her, like, can't we just fix it so he likes me? (laughs) But it, it made me feel badly for her that she, that I could relate to it. Right. And it made me feel badly for her. Well, it seems like that would be another challenge. Is that fair to say? Criticism? Oh, yeah. That's on my list. So I'll get okay. to that in a second. <laughs> uh, in fact, um, yeah. So my, that I was going to say the unrealistic expectations and the next one is criticism. Um, so it's sad to say, but I think Christians can some be some of the worst offenders when it comes to finding faults with other people, particularly other Christians. Uh, a good pastor and his wife want to be genuine, real, and approachable with their parishioners. But when we are, it also leaves, makes, as you said, makes us vulnerable and it leaves us open to attack from critics who pray on the opportunity to implement their personal agendas. 
So um, criticism would definitely be one of the challenges that I, I, I deal with as a pastor's wife. And that opening up is even more dangerous, I would say, you, you let me know if this is fair, than even like, let's say, a casual relationship because of the relationship between the congregants and the pastor with the influence that they can potentially have over either directing the course of the church or his future employment. So it's not just you're yeah. putting yourself out there hope, saying, well, I hope people still like me or don't reject me or will come alongside me, but that you hope that by, by doing that, they don't, can, don't use that to their advantage. Yeah, and that's exactly the way that I mean it, because in life in general, there's always going to be some criticism from someone somewhere in your lifetime. And and that's because we live in a fallen, sinful world, and we're not perfect. Sometimes the criticism right. is valid. Um, sometimes it's not. But yeah, it's it, criticisms that way, in that regard, can have an impact on my husband's career, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, right. so that makes it doubly dangerous, right. so to speak. Yeah. I'm just gathering there's a lot of discerning that happens that even I don't think about, and that seems to happen behind the scenes. I mean, everything almost seems like, not, not to overemphasize or to make it hyperbolic in the sense that when you have a conversation, you're probably trying to measure. You're always trying to think mm -hmm. about where is it appropriate for me to make sure that people know that I love them deeply and let them into my love such a way that we can love each other, but at the same time recognize there is a separation. And I think even people who know their pastors well, especially in the Reformed tradition, would understand that best. In other words, they're happy to, to be friendly with them, to correspond with them, but at the end of the day, they know that if the pastor comes alongside them and says, well, I see something in your life that's not right, they know, this is my pastor speaking. This is not just a casual friend, though he may be friendly toward me. He is, he is somebody who's been given rightful authority over my life to help govern and shepherd me. And that's a special thing. Yeah, well, you would hope that they would recognize that. Yeah, that, that is not necessarily always the case, though. Yes, I, I would agree with that. Um, a, a next criticism that, I mean, a next challenge for me would be betrayal. And this is something that I think um, people don't often think of, but it definitely it falls into the arena of a pastor's family, is I've watched my husband love people and passionately care for them with his time, his teaching, his prayers, only to be falsely accused and betrayed by them. This betrayal often comes from the most unexpected sources and over the most unexpected and, and insignificant issues. And when that happens, the hurt in, for a pastor and his wife are profound. And I think that people don't get that very often. Uh, so that is clearly a challenge for me and a challenge in ministry. And that's funny. Well, not funny. Not funny. Ha ha. Yeah, not funny. Ha ha. I, I like to say. I wanted that you you bring that up because one of my very early memories from childhood, a long time ago, is going through that type of, of situation with you guys, and just realizing how quickly that can turn. Even if people aren't trying to be particularly malicious, but again, this different sense of vulnerability opens everything up and it opens it up in a public spectacle where it can quickly become, if you have a problem with somebody, even let's say if it's if it's a, a mountain that's been made out of a molehill, you go to that person, hopefully, even if you go, you're talking to a group of people, even if you, you spread gossip in a group of people that is uh, your friends, it's still more self-contained than if it has to go behold, in front of the whole church because somebody, the squeaky wheel wants to get the oil and to right. make a big deal about something. Right. It's just... A situation that can be wrought with all kinds of uh, deep hurt that can be difficult to come back from, honestly. 
Right. And I remember that yeah. as a child. And I think the reason why those situations can escalate so quickly is because people obviously uh, have ownership in their church. They they If they're really attached to their church, they have friends in that church, their kids are invested in that church and programs in that church. And if something happens, and, and most often these are very small issues that someone gets their you know, they're a bee in their bonnet, so to speak. And it, it blows up into a bigger issue and, and it takes, it's it's like a snowball effect, uh, a snowball rolling down the hill. By the time it hits the bottom, it's quite large. Um, if it's dealt with immediately and biblically correctly in the proper way, it's just dealt with between you and the other person. But very often that is not the case. Someone tells someone, tells someone, and it just, you know, snowballs from there. So the betrayal factor um, is especially difficult for pastors and pastors' wives because we've invested not just our time and our resources, but honestly, we've invested a lot of love in these people. I think that, um, you know, people forget that when a pastor comes to your church, you, in a lot of ways, become his family because they, they, have left their family behind. So to invest all this love, this genuine love in in people, and then have them turn and do something so hurtful, it it would be like losing, um, you know, a a parent or a a child or something. It's, it it can be devastating. Right. And I'm not bringing this up so that we can just have a conversation where we say this lifestyle is so tough and what was me, but we're trying to get to the reason I wanted to have the talk was because this is how the sausage is made, so to speak. Like we're that's getting into analogy. that's right. <laughs> we're getting into some of the stuff that is often not seen behind the scenes, and I think we'd all be a lot more gracious to each other and our leaders if we knew that this was something that a lot of people wrestle with, a lot of pastors' wives wrestle wrestle with. Yeah, they, they, this is this is life for a pastor's family. It's not often talked about. Um, in this kind of forum. Right. That, yeah. That's why I think this is valuable. I hope people, I hope if you're a pastor's wife, you're encouraged by some of what we're talking about here, know that you're not alone. But for the average person, that I might encourage our, our hearts to move toward graciousness, toward more prayer for our leaders and their wives. Because, you know, I remember, I think it would be fair to say when a situation of betrayal happens, and I've had other friends who've had, encountered that very thing, it's more common. Than, oh, I it's, think it's very common. Yes. We, we'd like to admit, and then yeah. we think, that oftentimes it is harder for the pastor's wife to come back from that than it is for the pastor. Because he says, I love these people. The Lord has given me this call, this challenge. But like you're saying, the wife has not only been hurt on behalf of her husband, she's been personally wounded by this. And she wants to say, why would we do this again? It was, it was so difficult. Yeah. It's, it can be a a difficult hurdle to, to jump past, but it's one that you have to, you have to jump over because um, it's going to happen again. So the sooner you learn how to deal with it, I, my experience, if, if I could go back and speak to myself as a young pastor's wife, my advice to myself would be find a way to quickly deal with this and move past it because mm. it's going to happen over and over again. You, you just have to get the right perspective. And I, <clears throat> I can talk about that later when, when I, I just want to go through the, 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 the definite challenges first. And I would say my last challenge would be discouragement. So I've seen my husband, like I said, invest endless hours in helping people with their problems and their spiritual needs to see little or no growth in that person or even that couple that he's been working with. 
Um, and people don't think about the fact that pastors are, are especially susceptible to attack from the enemy. And that is a, a great tactic of the enemy, is discouragement. I mean, he can do that and does do that with all believers, but to especially discourage a pastor, uh, can if, it's, if a pastor doesn't know how to deal with that effectively, it can have a huge impact on his ministry. Um, some of the things that can discourage a pastor are low church attendance, people who don't come out on a consistent basis, uh, a lack of volunteers for ministries, uh, no unity in the body of believers, people who grumble and leave are all factors that burden a pastor's heart and thus his wife's heart. So when uh, my husband is feeling discouraged, I feel discouraged. Right. Yeah. So those would be some of my challenges. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty comprehensive list. Thank you. But but I like that because, again, it's just putting it out there. We're, we're not trying to sugarcoat any of this stuff. There are times that it's very challenging. It's not to say that there are times when it is not also very rewarding. But I think it's good for people to hear that there are unique burdens. That can, I think that's the right word. Yeah, I would say that's adequate, yeah. I mean, that a pastor is carrying a mantle. <laughs> But just as God created man and woman to be together and to share in some respect in the ministry that they perform here, that's especially true. Yes, I would, I would agree with that. It's, it's just particularly, particularly hard. So let's go back to like some of your perspectives then on those challenges, how you actually engage in those things. Okay. Uh, so the first one that I mentioned was time. And I would say the way that, um, since that's a challenge, obviously I need to find a way to deal with that, approach that um, in a way that's workable and uh, resolves something for me. <coughs> Excuse me. So one of the ways is um, that my husband carves out time to be with me. And I don't want to say that that happened from the minute that we went into ministry because it didn't. Um, it took him a while to be able to balance all of that. Sorry, I have a little tickle in my throat. <clears throat> and some of the way that he carves out time for me would be um, we take walks together when I get home from work. Uh, and, and when the weather is good and summertime, I'll rush home from work so that we can go walk the rail trail next to the lake with our dog. And I, I always feel like that's like a little mini date. It gives us the ability to um, reconnect again and to just step away from mystery-related things and just spend some focused time just on us. Another time is that he tries to spend a little bit of time with me each evening after dinner. Um, our favorite thing to do is snuggle on the sofa and watch a TV show that we both like. That's great. And, and then he always, you know, he, but he definitely has only a, a block of time that he can give me because he has to spend the majority of his time in the evening right. preparing. But when he gives me a little bit of time after dinner, I feel good about that. And, and it's easier to let him go off and do the things that he needs to do in the evening. Another thing is, as I said, he works 24-7, seven days a week. He does not have a day off or a weekend off like most people. So when he has vacation, and our church is very generous with him, he's been at this church for 25 years, and he now has six weeks vacation, which is um, very generous of them. I try to make sure that his time away from church is time away from church. 
it is completely downtime for him. And out of that, those vacation times, we um, often try to visit our children so we go away. Um, and one, one week out of the year, we go to Maine to the beach. And that is such a, um, a great time for him to just, you know, be able to rejuvenate himself and relax and doing something that he really enjoys. Uh, we both grew up on Long Island and, and we love the ocean. So um, he enjoys doing that. Uh, and then the, the other thing would be anytime that our children are around, we, you know, make sure that we carve out family time and we do things with the kids. And, and that that's helpful for all the other times when he doesn't, you know, he's just working a straight week through. So one of the things we've talked about a lot already was these unrealistic expectations, which to me in my life seems like it would be a, a huge deal. So how do you handle that? Uh, un unrealistic expectations. Well, I I'm going to tell you that I learned that one the hard way. <laughs> I did not learn it the easy way. I learned it the really hard way. Um, the, so the first church that we were in, as I told you, was like roughly between 200, 250 people. Um, they literally demanded that I work right alongside my husband in ministry. I was basically treated like an unpaid employee. Um, they, they had a lot of demands and it was our first church. And, and I, I just jumped right in with both feet and embraced that. Um, but at times that was very difficult on, I had young children then. And so balancing that and, and taking care of them at times was, was, it was a, a challenge. It was difficult. Um, so that, that was, that was my, uh, our first church. Our second church was, uh, a little bit bigger and, um, that had a little, like over 500 people and two services. They were very demanding of my husband's time, but interestingly enough, they did not care anything about me. Isn't that funny? Again, <laughs> yeah, how it, different that yeah. is. Yeah. So I went like from one extreme where I was expected to be like an employee, but not be compensated for that to a church that literally acted as though the pastor didn't even have a wife. They were like, Hey, whatever you want to do, whatever you don't do, if we never see you again, we're okay with that. <laughs> it was like, Whoa, it was like culture shock for me to go mm -hmm. from one extreme. I, so I went from being in a way needed all the time to not being needed at all. It, it that at first was difficult for me to grasp because I, in a way I felt like I lost a sense of identity. Like I didn't, I was confused about what my role was, but at the same time I had, by then I had four young children, two of them were 13 months apart, babies. And honestly, that was a blessing in disguise because I just needed to be with my children all the time, 24 seven. Uh, by the time we rolled around to our third church, which is where we are now, I better understood that no matter how hard I tried, I could never meet everyone's expectations. So instead, I learned to seek to please God, not people. But it took me two churches and many years to finally get that. Um, I understand now where my spiritual gifts are and my abilities are. And I strive to serve the Lord, my husband, and my church in those capacities and in that order. My Lord, my husband, and my church. I am fortunate in that I have a husband who fully supports me in that way. He doesn't place any undue demands on me or wants me to do something 
that I feel is outside the scope of what I can do or should do. Um, he's very supportive of that. So as I like to say, I am serving the one I love and long to see. And because ministry is all about Jesus. Amen. Yeah. That's the good stuff right there. That's a good word. All right. So how else do you handle some of those these other things? Uh, so when it comes to criticism, um, it hurts when people within the church criticize me. That that I'm just that's that's honest. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, that's honest. <laughs> um, but it especially hurts when they criticize my husband. I I can take the criticism about me a lot easier than the criticism about my husband. When I hear unnecessary gossip, slander, or someone raising undue suspicion about him, it really gets me angry. And I'll be honest, it, it makes me angry. Uh, at those times, I have to work really hard to keep myself in check. Really hard. Because if I was an average layperson, I, and you said something about my husband, I would be right up in your face having a conversation with you about it. As, as a wife of a pastor, that I can't necessarily do that. Right. So I have to work more at my own response to that. Even not, and even though it may not be a resolved issue, and that's particularly difficult for me, because I am a person who likes to resolve things. I, I'm, I tend to be a mover and a shaker. If I see a task that needs to be done, I just get right to it. One of my personal mottos is just suck it up and do it. Like whatever needs to be done, do it. So if there's a problem, you know, I'm the kind of person who wants to go directly to that person and resolve that issue right away. That is not always something that I can do as a pastor's wife. Um, so I have to work hard at keeping myself in check, and I have to extend the love of Christ to those people who are not necessarily extending the love of Christ to my husband or myself. Right. Being that example yeah. is hard. It, it can be very difficult. So I, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy. It's not. Right. And that goes hand in hand then with the betrayal that you were speaking about. Correct. And the way that uh, I deal with that, my perspective on that is, and and I'll be honest, I'm not going to sugarcoat this All right, this one. here we go. Here we go. <laughs> uh, betrayal is the most difficult experience in being in ministry. It's the most difficult experience. And I genuinely wrestle with my feelings about those situations and the people who are involved in those situations and the process of getting it where it was. I think part of the problem that contributes to all of that betrayal issue when it takes place in a church is that our culture in general has become a rebellious society that challenges authority in every place that they can. Hmm. Um, I think this attitude has unfortunately infiltrated the church as well. People have lost sight of the fact that scripture teaches that God's leader, who is the pastor, speaks with the authority of Christ. Often areas of disagreement or resentment uh, or resistance are centered around subjective opinions and not biblical truth. Right, that's true. If your pastor is preaching something contrary to the, to God's word, then you have a definite issue with him, and you should be up in his face talking to him about that. If you don't like hearing the truth of God's word, or if you don't care for his personality, then you should be praying for your pastor and ask God to change your heart. Right. That should not become a major issue. Um, in those situations, when they happen, I a way that I deal with it, because it's genuinely difficult for me, 
is I often turn to my husband for wisdom because he he really has a godly perspective on these types of circumstances. And he will remind me um, that these issues are directed at him or at me or at us, but they are often heart issues opposing God. Right, that's true. We just tend to be the targets for them. Um, I'm also I also find encouragement to help me process these things by looking at examples of God's leaders that are found in the Scripture, um, because there are many of God's leaders who are betrayed by those they loved and served. I mean, look at Moses. Moses repeatedly had to deal with yeah, all the time. Yeah, not just the people as a whole when they would approach him as a group, like as a mob, but there were individuals who would rise up. And, and even in one case, his own brother and sister right. yeah, rose exactly. up. Uh, and, and, there, and might I just throw this in there? Their <laughs> issue with Moses <laughs> at one point was his wife. His wife. Yeah. So I always like to say that is the first case of a pastor's wife being criticized in Scripture, is Moses' wife was um, criticized and slandered by his own brother and sister. So Moses is one example. David is another example. His son Absalom rose up against him and betrayed him. Oh my goodness, a betrayal of a child? It doesn't get worse than that. Um, Paul had Demas who rose up and gave him trouble. And then the greatest example of all, Jesus had Judas. Judas was one of the you know, the, the disciples. Jesus had invested time and love in Judas. I don't think... That, that Jesus didn't love Judas. I think he cared think he for him and loved him very much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Judas betrayed Christ. So when there is betrayal, I try to remind myself of these biblical examples and, and take encouragement from that. And, you know, we're in good company. Look right. at, you know, Paul. Paul to me is, I admire Paul. My, my two favorite uh, Bible characters are Moses and Paul. And so to see the betrayal that they endured is very, very encouraging to me. And incidentally, when uh, Aaron comes against Moses' wife, Aaron and Miriam come against Moses' wife, part of that is because of her ethnic origin, That's right? Correct. And that and God had said, Don't don't marry these people. But what's interesting is if you read that passage, God basically says, Stop picking on my servant. I love Moses. You you need to get over it. Right. And get beyond this. He, yes. He he comes to Moses' defense. Uh, specifically on that issue. Yeah, because Moses speaks with the authority of God. And it's no different for pastors. They speak with the authority of Christ. And we come from a culture nowadays that that rejects authority and challenges authority. That is not how it's supposed to be in the church. But very often, that attitude has infiltrated the church and the hearts of God's people. There's a, a misunderstanding about what a pastor is doing when he is shepherding. Right. And we're not removing, of course, in those difficult times, the sovereignty of God. We're still worshiping his sovereignty and sitting under the weight of his sovereignty. But that's exactly what it is. It's weighty. So that means that people are still genuinely hurt in those circumstances. It doesn't remove the fact because we say God is in control, that we do not struggle through what it means to worship him, to serve him, to be compassionate to others when that kind of stuff is happening. Correct. Yeah. And and remember that, you know, God says that pastors are held to a greater accountability. Right. Like he he literally will have to stand before Christ and give an account for all those that he shepherded. So it is it is a heavy burden and it is done with much love and 
commitment and dependence upon the Lord. So it, it this makes it especially hurtful when there is a betrayal. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this happens, but I feel like in seminary, all the like when you go to register, it should come with a giant warning label that they slap on that says, "Not many of you should be preachers and teachers." That's the truth. Yeah. So I like how you separated out. If you just have an attitude with your pastor because you have a chip on your shoulder, or because your personalities are not exactly the same, or it doesn't do exactly what you would want him to do, that is a problem that you need to get over. But right. If it is a legitimate issue of the scripture not being preached and taught properly, that's a that's an entirely separate thing. Absolutely. Yeah. If if your pastor is not preaching directly from God's word, or he's preaching something contrary to what God's word right. says, you should be up in his face. Right. Exactly. Sure. But the problem is people sometimes take every other little thing as an excuse to get up in his face, or worse yet, not to get up in his face to go to everybody else. And to get everybody else stirred up about or stuff. Or to go to his wife and tell, her, his wife. tell her, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which happens very frequently. That's for sure. Uh, and then, of course, my last one I spoke about was discouragement. And um, again, you know, that, that kind of follows the other two. And again, I like to look at great leaders in Scripture who also face discouragement. Moses faced discouragement. At one point, Moses was so discouraged in leading the people he literally asked god to <laughs> kill, kill him me. <laughs> he was like just take i'm done take my life this is so sad because moses it was such sad. a great great man i i always say when i get to heaven after i see my after i see jesus after i see my grandmother i am heading over to the line for moses and the line for paul because i'm sure there's lines to meet both of them I, I really want to meet them because I think they were great servants of God. But like I said, Moses Moses was so discouraged, he asked God to take his life. Uh, Elijah was discouraged. He he had a great moment with all the prophets of Baal and, you know, right. killing them. And, and then Jezebel was after his life and he was discouraged and he flew. He flew he from did the her. the same yeah. thing. Kill me. Yep. Uh, David. David was discouraged and all the things that he had to deal with and the betrayals that he had. Uh, and Paul, Paul faced times of discouragement. And he talks about that quite openly, which I just love about Paul. Like Paul doesn't hide anything. He tells you the stuff he's been through, that that there are times that he needed prayer for courage. And we right. often just think of him as such a great, you know, always on fire. He had down times too. So um at times of discouragement, I think what we need to do is keep our eyes on Christ and not on the people around us. Um, we have to remember that there's a bigger plan. We can't always see the bigger picture, but God has it in mind and he's at work. And so you just have to keep your head up and, and persevere through that. So. so here's what I think would be a great way to help kind of wrap up our conversation. Let's, we talked a lot about the burdens, the responsibilities. Those things are all real. <laughs> What I'd love to hear is, what do you think are some of the rewards? What are the benefits and the joys of being in this? Because it's a special role, nonetheless. So what are some of the great things that come along with it? Yeah, and there are great things that, that come along with it. I don't want to leave anybody thinking that, oh my goodness, if there are any like people in seminary, their wives are going, what are you doing? <laughs> their wives are, Get th out now. are throwing <laughs> yeah. their phones across the room right now. Abandon, abandon this plan. Um, no, they're, they're, I mean, we're talking about these things because these are real things. And very often, pastors' wives do not have the freedom to express That's this. a good way of saying it. So I'm I'm expressing it on behalf of all those pastors' yes. wives. That rise up, pastors' wives, express it. <laughs> Get up, stand up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's lots of rewards, um, for sure. And we, we would um, be doing God injustice if we didn't mention them. So... Mm. 
I have a few of those too. Um, the first one I would say is being co-laborers with my husband, serving side by side in ministry with my husband and knowing that we're on the same team is extremely rewarding. And in the process of that, I always try to be the best wife I can by first supporting him and what he does by loving him, respecting him, praying for him, encouraging him, and even being um, a constructive critique for him. Because I do think sometimes there are some things that he needs an inside critique to that only I can give him. I mean, obviously, every husband and wife um, God has designed for each other, and they're to balance each other. I always say that my husband and I are like a scale. When one tips down too much, the other brings the scale back up. And so um, I try to be um, a helpful critique for him at times. Um, another positive reward for me in being a pastor's wife is being a role mo model to others. I, I believe there's a great need for role, role models in the world today, yeah, right on. especially within the church. Right on. That almost seems like it's a contradiction, but it isn't. We, we really need good role models within the church. And I try to lead by example. And honestly, I'm not afraid to say to other people, watch me, follow me. And much in the same way that Paul said. Right, I was going to say, that, that's what Paul said. And, yeah. and I dislike when people shy away from that because what have we learned from somebody? Or what have we learned, rather, that we didn't learn from somebody else? I mean, whether it's how to do something on the computer or how to play golf, we all know kind of innately that we need an example. We need a good example. Right. So all Christians should be called for that, but especially leaders like pastors and their wives. Right. People will have an impact on us, but we want to be a positive impact on others. And I think a lot of times people... Um, think it sounds vain to say, watch me, follow me. But Paul said it. Right. Jesus said it. And, and and that's how we learn. Right. So I, I feel that I always need to be a role model for others. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm perfect. So I want to say that. And it doesn't mean that I get it right every time. And I'll tell you that. I'm not afraid to say, I am not perfect. I do not get it right every time. But I certainly can say this about myself, that I do strive to honor Christ through my words and my actions. So that that would be uh, a reward for me as a pastor's wife. And as a pastor's wife, you do get to be in a place, an intimate place with other people where they let you in simply because mm. you're the pastor's right. wife. So there's that double-edged sword. Right. Sometimes it can be a negative thing, but in this case, it can be a positive thing where people will let you in and think that you have something constructive right. and positive to offer them because you're married to the pastor. Right. But it gives you that point of access into yeah. somebody that's hurting or needs to be listened to that feels there's an immediate space of trust. Absolutely. And and I try to capitalize on that every yeah. time that I possibly can in that positive, constructive way. Mm. Uh, another reward for me would be serving Jesus with my spiritual gifts and abilities. Now, hopefully everybody is doing that, but I think there's the pastor's wife is usually given a broad range to do that in. Um, I have the spiritual gifts of teaching and administration. I'm, I'm extremely organized and detailed. There are many tasks within a church that need to be very organized and detailed, and I'm always happy to step into that spot and do that if I'm needed. I have a, a BA in Christian education, and I have a master's in ministry. So although I've I my spiritual gifts and my education fold together nicely, um, I have participated in many areas of church ministry 
over the years, things like um, being the Christian education director of our church, overseeing outreach events to the community, um, leading worship choruses, uh, managing the church website. And I'm happy to do all of those things and be used wherever God wants me. But if you said to me, what do you feel is your particular calling that God has gifted you to do? I would tell you right away that my calling, without a doubt, is women's ministry. Mm. I just feel that God has enabled me to take deep biblical truths and put it in a way that the average person can clearly understand and see how it's applicable to their life. I can simplify those truths um, where they can grasp them very easily. And, and I, I get a lot of encouragement back from women who tell me that is the case. Uh, that's the thing that I feel called and led to do. I want to make other people, other women in particular, passionate for knowing, loving, and serving Jesus. That's the thing. So for 16 years, I've led a ladies' Bible study class that I like to say is not for the faint of heart. Um, it's not what I refer to as a fluffy class. Uh, it is really more a college-level, even borderlining seminary-type level of class, but I find that extremely rewarding to teach. I want to challenge women to take their relationship with Christ to the next level, kick it up a notch, right? Really know what it means to love and serve Jesus, make an impact in this life that you can take with you to the next. That's life. well said. And again, yeah. being a pastor's wife gives you a natural platform yeah. to do that. You don't have to work hard to get that space. No, people to walk people into. think every pastor's wife knows how to teach a Bible study. That well, is that's not, not true. Yeah, that is not the case. But because they do think that. It, it gives you, you that. You can use that. Yeah, you can, you can use that opportunity if you do have those gifts. Right. Yeah, for sure. And then the last reward that I would say was raising well-balanced children. In, yeah. In, in a fishbowl because it is a fishbowl. Sure. And it's been important to me that my children grow up with a healthy understanding of what it means to serve Christ. So at times... It, would, it was my job as their mother and a pastor's wife living in a fishbowl to protect them from certain things, negative things, uh, aspects about being a PK. And if people don't know what that term means, it means a pastor's kid. If you are a pastor's kid, you're often referred to as a PK. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to teach my children to give back to God with their time, their finances, their abilities, and their spiritual gifts. So as my children have often heard me say over the years, serving Jesus is his own great reward. I, I say that over and over. I say that over and over to my ladies in my Bible study. And although I've seen some PKs who grew up to resent their lifestyle, I think our children have a richer life experience for it, and they've got a greater appreciation for those who serve in ministry. That's true. But my greatest reward... Is watching them, sorry, <laughs> is watching them as adults grow into their faith and their commitment to Christ. Yeah, and that, that's certainly been my experience as well. It's been a great pl pleasure and privilege to watch. Man, now, why don't we go through this entire interview without anybody I'm getting teary? I'm surprised I got that far without breaking out crying. So. My, my goodness. But no, I, I agree with that. It's it's a hard thing, I think, to be in the fishbowl is the right term. So yeah. you have to have good parents that can kind of raise you in that environment, and quite honestly, help guide you along so you don't resent a lot of things. Yeah, because I've seen that happen, and 
I don't think it's through any fault of any pastor and or pastor's wife. Things like that can happen, but I think you need to be especially diligent about it. And one of the reasons that I'm probably ultra sensitive to it and have always been it's always been on the forefront of my mind as I've raised my children in the parsonage is that I too am a PK and I did not have the best experience as a PK. And that's made me, I think, a little hypersensitive to it. It doesn't mean that I've protected them or shielded them from every negative element of the church because that's part of their growth process and helping them to learn to trust Christ and see past uh, the, the, the hurts of that can be, that can happen with other people. That's part of life. We live in a sinful world. Um, But there are certainly elements of ministry that I have shielded them from and protected them from. And that's my job. Nobody else is going to do that. That's my job. Yeah. But I think I'm, I'm probably a little bit more in tune to that than say the average pastor's wife, because I am a PK and did not have a good experience as a PK. Right. Yeah. And And that comes again from that richness of experience. Yeah. Yeah. That you yourself had. Yeah. Yeah. This has been fantastic, Mom. Really, I think this is, I hope that this has been, as will be as helpful for others as it has been, even the things I've learned. And this has been a really honest conversation that I have not heard elsewhere. Hmm. I really have not heard this kind of thing. So I hope it's encouraging. And I want to finish by asking you two questions, or at least for two pieces of advice. So hmm. for somebody listening, let's say who's the pastor's wife, what, what advice would you give her? And then the second, for somebody that's just listening that they're just part of a church, what advice would you give that person? So let's start with the pastor's wife. If you you had to say one thing that somebody who's listening who's a pastor's wife, what would you say? Well, I would say ministry is hard. Church is hard. Uh, Being a pastor's wife is hard. But the reason we do it is because we love Christ, and that makes it easy. Mm. That makes it easy. And that should be a bumper sticker. Somebody put that down. Um. What would so that's what I would say to the pastor's wife. What would I say to a parishioner? I I think I would say to a parishioner to extend grace and love to your pastor's wife. Don't let let her be who God created her to be. Give her the freedom and the liberty um, to express herself in the personality that God has gave, given to her. Let her use her gifts and her abilities where she feels led to use them and let her direct her path. Don't try to direct it for her. Hmm. Um, I think if you let a pastor's wife free to be who she is, I think she'll serve God and the church well. Um, That would be my That is well said right there. That is fantastic. Well, If you've enjoyed this, and I have no doubt that you have, here's what you need to do. You need to go to iTunes and give my mother five stars. Don't you think people should give this podcast five stars? Sure. I'll take five stars. Who wouldn't? (laughs) So go rate and review us on iTunes. Another thing that you can do is this podcast, The Reformed Brotherhood, is part of a collective called the Society of Reformed Podcasters. And if you go to reformpodcasts.com, you can find all kinds of other good podcasts just like this one that I encourage you. One that I want to point out in particular is called Five for Fruit, which is a new edition, is fantastic. It is five minutes a week to jumpstart you into growing your faith in the Lord and the fruit of the Spirit. 
So it's fantastic. You're going to go check that out, Mom? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, great. Yeah. We're, we're so good at advertising. <laughs> so, um, Mom, thanks again for coming, for speaking candidly, for encouraging us, and for challenging us. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. Glad so, to be here. Until next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood and your pastor's wife. Uh, what if I'm fine?